Great, good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful people. Um, we, we're going to take communion today um, a little later in the service, and I want to leave as much time for us to do that as possible, and we're going to have some prayer ministry, and want to leave loads of space for that. So I'm just going to share a few brief thoughts this morning. Is that okay? Yes. You're with me. So over the last few weeks, as you know, we've been, if you've been here, we've been looking, we've been starting this series on parables, uh, which we've called Stories with Intent, and we've been looking at how parables are these stories that Jesus used to communicate to his disciples, to communicate to the crowds around him and now to us in scripture about what the kingdom of God is like, what God is like, what his, what his character is like, what his purposes are. And, but, but not just, just that, but these parables also teach us what is it to live in this kingdom? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God uh, that has arrived in Jesus and is, and is invading this earth? that is transforming lives, that is setting people and churches on fire. Is this okay? But yet hasn't come fully. You know, we still live in a world, don't we, where there is suffering and pain, and we're seeing God do amazing things, but we're aware that the kingdom has arrived but has not been fully established, but will be established when Jesus returns. Does that make sense? So these, kingdoms, these, these parables also teach us what does it mean to live in this tension between the now, if you like, and the not yet, of the kingdom, the space that we occupy in history. How many of you know that the great achievements in life, the great moments, are often made up of hundreds, if not thousands, of simple, seemingly insignificant decisions? Anyone that, anyone that knows anything about sport will know this, that training, the, the, the mundane, ordinary parts of training are what makes a great athlete a great athlete. How many of you know who these guys are? We can get the slide. Yes. Yes? Pink Floyd the other week was niche, but if you don't know who these guys are, I'm getting concerned, and we will have to run a stream on music history after all. This, of course... These guys are the Beatles, George Harrison, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and Ringo Starr, with George Harrison clearly being the best Beatle. And, <laughs> and, um, and the Beatles, you know, history often is re reports the headlines, doesn't it, of success. It often reports the great moments, but history isn't so great at reporting the ordinary, everyday moments that lead to greatness. You know, before they had any fame, before they had any international success, the Beatles in their formative years in Hamburg and Germany practiced eight hours a day, seven days a week. Before, before, before they became an international success, it's reckoned that the Beatles had played over 1,200 gigs, which is more than most bands play in their entire career. And most of those, trust me, as an ex-musician, current musician, but you know what I mean, most of those would have been probably to five people and the landlord of the pub they were playing in. And it's not just the rehearsal, it's also as anyone who is a creative or has creative friends, organizing four creatives to be in the same place at the same time is also a miracle. These small, ordinary, seemingly insignificant moments are what lead to the great achievements. But so often, if you're anything like me, you want the big, exciting thing now. I don't want to go through the ordinary mundane moments. I want the big thing now. I want the sensational thing now. I want the exciting thing now. Yes! I'm on this journey at the moment um, to try and get a little healthier. 
to get a bit fitter and to just sort of live a bit better, think about what I eat a bit more, get more active. And about a year ago, just before I started at Trinity, um, I, I realized, I mean, this is going to reveal to you that I'm, I'm one of these people who wants the results without the habits, right? I decided to go on a fad diet, folks. And this diet, about, about a few months before I joined Trinity, I cut out all food and I just had these shakes. It was awful. One of the seven circles of hell, honestly, awful. And I got to Trinity, arrived at Trinity, three stone lighter. And then I met you guys and found out about Trinity Square Nando's and realized that God was calling me on mission there. And by Christmas, I put all the weight back on again because I wanted the results, but without the ordinary, simple, everyday moments, I hadn't put the habits in place that led to anything sustainable in my life. Does that make sense? And so often, this is why it's possible, by the way, to have people with great influence and great power, with nothing to say. Because when your preoccupation is just being to get to the big, to get to the significant, to get position, you cut out all of the small, seemingly insignificant moments that form character and that form your contribution to the world. And this is also true of our discipleship. Again, if you're anything like me, we want God to do the big and sensational, don't we? And this is, this is all good. We want to see the church on fire. We want to see the city alive. We want to see people set free and restored and relationships reconciled. We want all of that stuff. But often God grows the big and spectacular. He grows his eternal kingdom in small, seemingly insignificant mustard seeds. I once asked, I mean, the classic example for this for me, by the way, is prayer. Prayer can feel small and pointless, can't it? Especially if you've got a busy life, making that time in the morning. It can just feel like, well, well, I'm just praying and saying a few words and reading scripture and asking God to do these things, but it doesn't really seem to be getting us anywhere. But we know that prayer has the power to change everything. I once asked a priest who had been a priest for for decades, I said, what do you consider your most important work as a pastor? And he said, without hesitating, prayer. You know, so often we want the big and spectacular, but God grows his eternal, everlasting kingdom from insignificant looking mustard seeds. That is what this parable is all about. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that although it is the smallest of all the seeds when it is planted, outgrows every other plant in the garden, in the field. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And, and, and this, this idea of a mustard seed, if you've been around the church for a while, yeast or mustard seeds, you're kind of like, it's just part of the ecclesiological vocabulary, isn't it? You're used to it, mustard seeds, yeast, yeah, I've heard this a million times, but a mustard seed is not the kind of illustration that people would have expected Jesus to use when it came to talking about the kingdom of God. Mustard seed wasn't wanted. It was this, these tiny seeds and they got everywhere and they were likened almost to weeds because they got in every nook and cranny and sprung up and outgrew everything else. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that will outgrow every other plant. In other words, every other kingdom will rise and will fall, but the story of God's kingdom is that he will establish it forever. As Johnny says, our destiny isn't hinged on the back of the next election, the next referendum, but on God's kingdom work that will be established fully when Jesus returns. Amen. Amen.
And we see that what Jesus is saying in this parable is already coming true. You know, if you're sat here today and you're a Christian, even if you're not, even if you have any connection to the church whatsoever, it's because 12 guys 2,000 years ago in Israel and Jerusalem listened to Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Twelve of the disciples listened to Jesus, were obedient to Jesus, and already we've seen how this mustard seed of God's, God's kingdom has grown almost every nation in the world, and particularly the places where the church is most persecuted, is actually growing the fastest. And we know that's true in here as well. I mean, look around you, we're at Trinity Church, Nottingham, folks. This is a mustard seed. A few years ago, eight people decided to... To, to move up the country to be obedient to what God was calling them to do here in partnership with the diocese. And eight people began to meet and pray and worship. And now, look at you, you beautiful lot. This mustard seed, this, this choice to be obedient to God's kingdom work. Before that, it was Don, wasn't it? Hands up if you've heard the story of Don in our church. Have you heard this before? Don, this guy who has a dream, a mustard seed type dream. Years before, this was a twinkle in the bishop's eye has this dream of people worshipping extravagantly, of the city being changed. And so he began to just pray over this building, slap oil on every wall. It's an amazing story, by the way, if you haven't heard it. Come find us afterwards. God is already doing this, isn't he? You know, one of my favourite bits of scripture is Acts 3. You know, this bit, I preached that a little while ago, where, where um, Peter and John are going to the temple and they meet the beggar. Do you remember the, 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 the crippled beggar? And, and they say, gold or silver we do not have. What we do have, we give to you. Rise up in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, in that story, the, the gate that he's by, this man's by, is called the beautiful gate. This gate of significance and prominence in Jerusalem. But he doesn't have a name, does he? Folks, if you go to Jerusalem now, where the beautiful gate was, it's just a pile of rubble. And we're still telling this man's story. It's a mustard seed of the kingdom. You know, if you, often we are conditioned to look for the big tree and not for the small seed. Often we think nothing is happening because we just want to see the spectacular and the big now. And whilst we're waiting for God to come and move in power, we miss the mustard seeds that he's already planting, already growing, already establishing in our community and in the city. You know, this is also my story. I have a mustard seed story. This is my, was my first ever Bible. Look at that, the, N, the NC Youth Bible. Yes. And this Bible was given to me by a family called the Craythorns when I left primary school. Most of you will know by now, but I didn't grow up a Christian. And the Craythorn family, their kids went to our primary school, and they were Christians, and they were good friends with my parents, and although we didn't go to church, and my parents weren't interested in religion, they always told us, we're praying for you, and we love you, and they would, they would talk to my parents about God, and in 1999, when we were in primary school, one of their daughters, Sasha, at the age of eight, died of a brain tumor, and a couple years later, my own mum, who was really involved in the primary school, also passed away. 
And when I left school, I knew this entire time that the Craythorn family, despite their own suffering and their own pain, believed in the goodness and the faithfulness of God and continued to pray for me, my dad, and my brother. And at the, on my last day of primary school, they gave me a presented to George White by the Craythorn family, leaving primary school. We will miss you. May God bless you always. This went at a, the back of a shelf for years. Years later, after I'd become a Christian, in fact, just before I was going to university, I was clearing out my room in the house where I grew up, and I found this Bible right at the back of a wardrobe covered in spider's webs and stuff, and I opened it up. And I saw to George White from the Craythorn family, may God bless you always. And I realized they had no idea that I'd become a Christian. And not only did I become a Christian, but I was packing up to go to uni to study theology to try and respond to this sense of calling I felt God had put on my life to be a pastor. And I just, I just wept. And then I got out the phone book. Yes! And I looked up C for Craythorn. And I found the number, and I managed to get through to them. And I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. My name's George White. You were really good friends in my family in primary school. And they said, of course we remember you. Your mum and your dad and your brother, of course you remember, we've been praying for you. And I said, this is going to sound crazy, but I just found the Bible that you gave me when I was 11 years old. And I want to tell you that I found Jesus as a teenager. He's completely changed my life. And now I'm going to London to study theology to be a pastor. To say that was an emotional phone call <laughs> is an understatement. I am the product of a mustard seed moment. Someone praying faithfully. They may never have heard if I hadn't found that Bible. But I've no doubt they still would have trusted that God would bring the growth. Yeah. So I want to say three things, then we're going to have communion together. I want to encourage us to do three things as a church. I want us to recognize where God has already planted, where he's already at work. Secondly, as we were, say, as we were looking at earlier, to recognize where God is calling us to sow and the, and the, and the seeds, in fact, that he's placing within us and finally and this is really important to surrender the outcome to surrender the result where has God already planted we've already looked at the church haven't we these 12 people who just listened to Jesus and were obedient we've looked at Trinity Church this mustard seed that is growing and developing what about kids church kids church this growing church, meeting downstairs right now where the Spirit is alive and working and kids are being filled with the Holy Spirit, with kingdom dreams, with love and goodness and grace, encountering the faithfulness of God. You know, in our kids' church at the moment, we've got kids that are just learning to pray for one another and learning to pray for us as well. And in the last couple of weeks, some of the kids have been asked, you know, what do you think God's putting on your heart? And we've got kids that say, I think God's calling me to be a worship leader, to lead God's people in worship. Other kids want to plant churches. Other kids just want God to take hold of their life in such a way that he does a new thing with them. God is already moving. He's already planting seeds. A generation of revivalists are already growing and emerging in our kids' church. Will we invest in it? Will we recognize it? Prayer on the streets. Every week we go out and we sow seeds of the kingdom in every person we meet, whether they say yes or no. 
We sow seeds. I, I can't tell you all of these stories. It doesn't feel the right time to tell them right now. But there are people we are meeting for the third and fourth time who, when we first met them, said they had no interest in God. They, they questioned even his existence and who we're meeting on the streets now and feel that God's done something within them, that he's taken hold of them. And they're asking, how can I come to church? Can I come to your church? When are your Sunday services? Mustard seeds of the kingdom that are already growing. We're recording at the moment some stories of, um, for, for the website, some stories of what God's been doing in and around Trinity. And, and myself and the wonderful Tom Dennis, big up Tom, went and, fi- went and filmed uh, one particular story with one of our students, Mariska, just last week. And Mariska is someone who grew up a Christian, walked away from her faith, came to university and came to Nottingham with zero interest in pursuing her faith, zero interest in finding a church, and one night she went out, she won't mind me saying this because I've asked her, one night she went out on Freshers Week at university and her drink got spiked. And she woke up at 3 a.m. in A&E at the QMC, no friends, her parents living abroad, alone in A&E with no one to contact. And in that moment, God met with her in the most profound way. And Mariska's found a home here. She is now the president, folks of Nottingham Trent University CU. Isn't that amazing? We're talking in the space of a year, in the space of a year, the mustard seeds that is gradual, but also mustard seeds can spring up and spring to life in an instant. Where is God calling us to sow seeds? All of us have a part to play in this. Paul talks about the church, doesn't he, as a body. Every part Every part of the body is necessary. Everyone has a part to play. No matter how crazy or insignificant it seems, being obedient to God in the small, in the mustard seed moments is for all of us. Maybe it's telling for you, it's just telling a colleague that you go to church. You know, what did you do this weekend? It's a classic, isn't it? Oh, Saturday, I watched the football and had some friends over. We had a barbecue. Then Sunday morning, I went to church. And then Sunday afternoon, we, it's a classic. Maybe it's that for you, just declaring, just publicly declaring that you've found faith and life in Jesus. Maybe it's getting more stuck in serving here. Maybe God's stirring you around that. For Jenna and Jeff, God stirred them in an ordinary service to adopt. Isn't that crazy? That a human being's life is now forever changed because God stirred them in that service and they were obedient to it. Maybe it's encouraging someone, all the people that have come to church and found faith in Jesus because people were kind and loving to them. Oh my gosh. Maybe it's uh, uh, inviting someone to Alpha. Come on, got that in there. (laughs) And then finally, And this is a big one for me. I've shared a lot of stories today where we've already seen mustard seeds grow and we've been privileged to see see these things grow, right? That's not normally the case. Thirdly, we need to surrender the outcome, surrender the result. You know, God's been teaching me recently that many of the greatest contributions I will make in my life, many of the greatest contributions you will make, you will never get to see the fruit of. In fact, if it's a kingdom thing, you probably shouldn't see the fruit of it because it's far bigger than the 70 years or whatever that we have on this planet. Surrender the outcome. We often, we often give up because we look at this mustard seed and it's tiny. And we, we, we have no idea how a great tree could possibly emerge from this. We hold it in our hands. Really, should I just commit to praying for that person? How could, how's anything going to happen? 
Really, should I pray for this random, uh, closed-down auction house and slap oil all over the walls? How is a great church going to emerge from that? We have to give up the outcome. It's not our responsibility. We sow seeds. We're obedient to God and partnering with his kingdom work. Paul puts it like this, that he sowed, Apollos watered, and God bought the growth. God brings the growth, and it's enough for us to be obedient and step into that. Some of the most significant prayers we will pray may be for people and things that you will never see, but God will grow. Some of the most important prayers you will pray on your life will be for people and things that you will never see, but God will grow. So we surrender the result. And what would have happened if all of these people had given up? If the Craythorn family had looked at that mustard seed and felt it wasn't particularly significant, would I be a Christian now? I don't know. What if, what if Don had said, oh gosh, getting home every day and praying for this building over years and slapping oil on the walls and, and praying that God would establish a church that would bless this city in this building? What if he just thought, oh, this is just stupid. This is crazy. Would we be here now? We're called to be people who recognize the potential and potency of God's kingdom, even when it looks tiny and insignificant to others. And it's the final thing, and then we're going to have communion together. That Jesus finishes the parable and says, not only does this tree outgrow every other plant in the garden, but the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. In other words, whenever it's a kingdom thing, things can't help but come alive around it. When God is establishing a work in you or me or a thing that he's calling us to, other things can't help but come alive around it. Recently, a friend of ours has been ill. She's been in hospital again. We got a few people together, some of whom were Christians, some who weren't. And we said, why don't we just pray that, that God would miraculously heal our friend? And we, would just, and we had people that wouldn't, wouldn't even say they had a relationship with God joining in and praying and saying, you know what, we, we believe maybe God could do a miracle even though we don't really know his name. And, and then we, we, we saw our friends the other day, and one of the brothers of the friends who grew up, it's getting complicated, but one of the brothers of the friends who grew up uh, a Christian but had walked away from it and has been this moment of wondering and not really knowing who God is, all the rest of it, grabbed us the other day and said, because you included me in that message to, to pray for Josie, I'm now praying every single day again. I want a relationship with God again. When we, when we plant kingdom seeds, birds come and purchase branches. Other people benefit. So when we see, as, as, as Bishop Paul prayed last year, this, in the spirit, these trees, this Sherwood forest that used to come all the way down into the city, being restored and planted again by God's people and God's church in this city, we are going to see the church change. We're going to see the, the, the city change. We should expect to see crime rates drop as a result of what God does in the city. We should expect to see relationships reconciled. We should expect that less and less and less kids grow up in abusive households. We should expect more kids to be proclaiming the gospel and meeting Jesus in the education system. We should expect youth not to be going around stabbing each other, but joining themselves around God and joy and celebration. We should expect the city to change because whenever God establishes a kingdom thing, things come alive around it. It's almost as if the church on fire, the city alive. Is God's vision. Shall we have communion together? Yes. Right.